Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. John chapter 16 today, I want to talk to you today about the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are ready for that message today? The extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit we're at in this portion of Scripture, John chapter 16, Jesus wants us to know how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And so as you lean in today, I pray that as we come and get an understanding that, you know, many times we, we understand the concept God is our Father, and uh, we get that, and Jesus the Son, but many times uh, we have trouble understanding the Holy Spirit that uh, maybe we think is only relative to maybe a certain portion of our lives, and we don't understand the full comprehension of Scripture. And as we look at this today, I want us to realize that the Holy Spirit is a he, he's not an it, right? Because the Holy Spirit is a person, right, everybody? The Holy Spirit is a person, and so we need to think and understand in those terms because that's how the Bible gives it to us. And we need to understand as we're relating to him, he is a person. It is the person, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that he wants us to know today. You know, God, we see, has been working through the Spirit all the way back to the book of Genesis, right? And we see him come through, and then Exodus, he's setting his hand upon Bezalel, and that's the man who, who designed all of the tabernacle furnishings. He has gifted him. He's empowered him to do that kind of work. Then you come into Numbers, in Numbers chapter 11, it's the Spirit of God moving upon 70 leaders of Israel that would help Moses. In the book of Judges, it's the Spirit of God coming upon Othniel, empowering him to lead as a judge. Coming upon Gideon, we see, to lead Israel into victory. Coming upon Samson and using his amazing strength. First Samuel, the Spirit comes on Saul. Saul's anointed for the kingdom, and the Spirit of God changes him into a different person. We watch as David, he's anointed as king. Spirit of God comes upon him. We go on and we see this, that the work of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit is to accomplish the purposes of God all throughout the Bible and is provided for us today. Aren't you thankful for that? Imagine what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to do the work of God in this day. You know, many times we have a tendency to think that, that the book of Acts is the only book that where we get the Holy Spirit out of, and we, under, we, we see that. But it's not only there, the Gospels are full of stories where the Spirit came upon ordinary people to accomplish the work of God. John chapter 3, we talked about months ago, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is who draws men and women to salvation in Jesus, that it's not us, but it's the Spirit of God working through us that draws other men and women and people around us to the Lord for salvation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to help men and women to give a testimony concerning Christ. And then John chapter 3, verse 36, which I love this, as it says in there, he gives the Spirit without measure that is not even measured to us. The Holy Spirit is given to us without measure. 
John 4 says if we are going to worship and worship him in spirit and in truth, it's the spirit of God that moves us into the right place inside of our worship to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That when we come to worship, it's the Holy Spirit as we align ourselves and submit and yield ourselves to the Lord, that that in that moment, the Holy Spirit aligns us with the Father in heaven as we worship him. John, we see also seven, it's God's desire that we have the Spirit's power. How many of you are thankful for the Spirit's power? It's, the Bible says in this passage, like rivers, not river, but it's rivers of living water that has been promised to flow out of you and me. Isn't it amazing that it's not just a river, it's rivers of living water. Water. You need to turn to the person next to you and say, you have rivers of living water flowing out of you. Come on, tell them. Not a river. You have rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Some of you get up and go to the bathroom because you've had so much coffee. But rivers of living water that he's promised us. So no matter where you and I are at today, they will be well watered. Amen? That in your home, that they will be well watered. It's going to get the water. If you're at your campus, you're going to be well watered, and so are the people that are around you in your neighborhood. John 14, 16, and it says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, helper, that will be with you forever. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that he is our legal advocate. He's your defender. He is your coach. And there's so much to be thankful for, isn't there, for the Holy Spirit? That not only has God saved you and me, he lives in us and he empowers us to serve him. And as we come to John chapter 16 today, verses 5 through 15, we are seeing Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit. He wants you and I to understand, just as he did the disciples in that day, that you need the Holy Spirit. And why do we need them? And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. That to remember this, that in this moment, it's so important that they do understand that they will have an advocate with the Father through the Holy Spirit because Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. And he's about ready to lay down his life. And he's telling them, hey, it's critical that you understand. It's so critical you get this right now. And so here are six extraordinary things that the Holy Spirit does. Are you ready for these today? Inside of this passage, six things. I only heard my wife say, yeah. Are you ready for this today? Maybe you did or you just whisper. Okay. Number one, he comes to help us. How many of you in this room would say, I need the help of the Holy Spirit right now? Come on, if all honesty, yeah. Every single one of us. There's something in your life today you need help with. Maybe something you're going through personally. Maybe it's something your children are going through or, or your workplace or the people you serve or, or somebody close to you. Somebody in your life has an illness that you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And Jesus says, that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. That we realize in Scripture, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, we see through Scripture that the Father in heaven is justifying. The Son is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. In the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, is praying through us. He is helping us. Imagine how distraught the disciples are. We're going to see that 
inside of their hearts and their minds. They can't even see clearly. They're grieving. Their own selfishness has overcome them. And look at verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you, Jesus told his disciples, asked me, where are you going? There's almost a sense of disappointment like, hey, I'm going to the one who sent me, my father, but you're not even asking me where I'm going. And so it's kind of like you and I getting ready for an important trip. We've saved a lot of money for it, packed our bags, and we've been talking about it. You've been talking about it for so long. And nobody in your world asks you about, well, where are you going? I mean, what are you about ready to do? Where, what's taking place? And Jesus said, hey, none of you, none of you are asking about that. He wants them to know, but they're not asking. The fact is the disciples are consumed with their own sadness and the thought of losing him because they thought they were going to be ruling and reigning with him, Right? When we are more consumed with looking at our lives than we are looking at Christ, we miss so much that Christ has for us. He says, you're not even asking me. Then verse 6, rather you're filled with grief because I've said these things. You're not even asking me, but you're filled with grief. Verse 7, but truly I tell you, it's for your good. That's the word advantage. It is to your advantage that I'm going to go away. And unless I go away, the advocate, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. If I go, he's going to go. Jesus is saying, listen, you've had me with me, you with me and me with you. You've been able to walk. We've been able to talk. And there's a reality here. But unless Jesus goes away, the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to live in the life of other believers because we know when Jesus was upon this earth, he's one man, human body, but it's good that you go away because then the Holy Spirit I'm going to send will be with all of you and he's going to live inside of you. And here's what we have to understand. So many times in our life, you are as close to God as your proximity to Jesus we got to understand this, that so many times we feel distant from the Father in heaven, don't we? How many of us in our own lives said, man, I feel distant from you, God. I just don't feel a connection. Something's going on, whatever it may be. Now, we know that's a lie from the enemy, but listen, you and I are as close to God as your proximity to Jesus. So if you draw near to Jesus, and Jesus promised is will draw near to you, then you are close to the Father in heaven. Amen. So draw close to Jesus wherever you're at today. And so better than God with you is God in you, right? That you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is. The Holy Spirit is our helper, he says. Number two, he convicts unbelievers regarding sin. He, he convicts the unbeliever regarding the sin in their life. So you and I would not know Christ if the Holy Spirit had not come to us and convicted us regarding our sin. And convict, maybe a better translation would be convinces. He convicts, convinces unbelievers. Jesus said this, no man can come to me unless the Spirit of God draws him. That he has been working on us long before we came to Jesus that he was doing a mighty work to make us aware of Jesus Christ and also the lostness of our condition in our heart. Verses 8 and 9, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now he amplifies it up concerning sin because why? They do not believe in me. They, that word they is referring to unbelievers, 
It is sin, sin, not sins, because there's only one sin that sends people to hell, and that sin is rejecting Jesus Christ as their Savior. The unpardonable sin is rejecting Jesus as your Savior. So the Holy Spirit comes, he convinces you, and you and I need a Savior, convicts, right? He's doing that right now in this room, across the airways, through the streaming, wherever people may be throughout the world or in this nation or in this state. So he's come to do that. He convicts the world and the unbeliever of their sin. And so number three, he convinces believers then of our righteousness in Christ. This is why it's so important to have the Holy Spirit working in us. Because why? He convinces believers in Christ of our righteousness in Christ. I'm not sure if many of you struggle with this, but I do sometimes because the enemy tries to come in with his voice. In verse 10, it says concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Holy Spirit comes to convince us of our standing with Jesus, that, that we are righteous because of Jesus Christ today. Can I hear an amen? That's what makes the gospel good news. Many understand that Jesus died for their sins. They just haven't gotten the second half, which is Jesus Christ is your righteousness, and there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The issue is many Christians don't rely on the cross to eradicate condemnation. That's a problem. They rely on doing more, trying to be all that they can be, and work off good works. Right? If I can just do this, then I can overcome the feeling that I have that I'm so terrible of a person. I feel guilty and I feel unworthy. The good news is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is victory and forgiveness over all of our sins. So our sins are forgiven, not only past, not only present, but in the future. Now, that's mind-boggling to think of that because our minds really can't get away, uh, really get around that, but that our sins through what Jesus Christ did on the cross not only forgave the past, the present, but the future sins that we will have and do in our life. You got to understand that Christ says, hey, I have died for your sins, and not only the past, but the present, but the future that you will commit. You know, Many times you understand as you get through this, so many people rely on good works and whatever it may be, but, but let me tell you something, we come to this and we should be deeply humbled by what Jesus has done for us in our lives. That, you know, there are the sins in every one of our lives on any given week we commit, don't we? We do. We do, all of us. And then they're the ones that you've heard of the, word, the sins you commit, commission. You've heard the sins of omit, omission. There are sins in any given, uh, any given one of us during any given week that we fail to do something. We maybe, it didn't even go through our mind. We went through it. We were supposed to do it, and it was sin. He's saying those are the sins of omission. Those are the things that we leave out, that we don't do. And I don't know about you, just in and of myself, I'm just not that good. That's why I need to realize that Jesus Christ has died for my sins and eradicated my sins. And that, Lord, please forgive me of the things that I have committed and the things that I have omitted to do. Amen? It's true. 
That's the good news of the gospel, that all of our sins was nailed to the cross. That we will not allow sin to be our master because why? We, were, uh, we are under grace, not under the law. Not to continue to sin, but to realize that we have been saved from it into Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and reminds us of our salvation. That listen, you are righteous today because of Jesus Christ and his work inside of your life. Not because you and I did something great, but because we are in right standing. The Holy Spirit comes, you are in right standing, and so thus you have your righteousness with Jesus Christ, and it is in him. That's what the Holy Spirit comes. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because we all have got these thoughts that come during the day, during the week, the lies of the enemy, the things that we hear that are not of God. This is why we need the work of the Holy Spirit to remind us that we are righteous and in good standing because of what Jesus Christ did for us. If the enemy can get you and I wrapped up in guilt and shame and condemnation, what does that do? It doesn't want us to draw close to God, does it? It wants us to pull back rather than experiencing the love of God. But the Spirit comes and says, you're my child, your sins have been atoned for, you're righteous, you are in the right position, and I'm going to come and we celebrate the goodness of God. So we realize you're not serving God to please some penalty, that it's already been paid. You're running to him. Why? Because you were set free from sin. That's why you run to him. What a difference. You're righteous. It's not the perfect life. It's not ever the perfect life that gets you right standing with God. It's his perfect death and that we have to realize God's not mad at you anymore. Can I hear an amen? God's not mad at you. How many of you struggle with that sometimes in your life, just to be real? That we, you know, sometimes we go about it any given day and we're like, well, God's mad at me. No, God's not mad at you because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Amen? He wants you to have the proper position, the proper posture as you come, and that's good news. Number four, he reminds us of Satan's defeat, and this is so important. He reminds us of Satan's defeat. You look at the world, and sometimes you feel like, wow, is the evil ever going to end? Look at verse 11. He says this, this concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, it's interesting because Satan is judge. Who's the ruler of the world? Who? Satan, right? You think, well, well, wait a minute. Some people get this mixed up. We know who the ultimate ruler is. It's God in heaven, right? But the, the, the one that has the ruler and the power over the air right now that Jesus says is Satan. To all those insurance agents that say when a storm's blowing through and something happens, lightning strikes, hits the limb, hits the house, catches it on fire, burns it down, that, that, that it's an act of God. Where did we ever get that? We need to change the term. That's an act of evil, right? That is not an act of God, right? But that's how it is. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? Through the Holy Spirit, Satan, your days are numbered, and they are quickly coming to an end, and the enemy will be defeated once and for all. Jesus Christ will reign eternally, and we will reign with us and with him, and he's reminding us of that. Number five, he guides us in all truth. Don't you love that word guide? That you may be lost, you may be somewhere in but you and I need to be guided. I mean, think about it. you're in a jungle, you're in a safari, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, where do I go? You're lost. I don't even know how to get out of this. 
A guide comes with a compass. They know the terrain. They will guide you and they will show you the way out. That's the Holy Spirit, that He guides us about everything in Jesus Christ. And He's reminded, you're righteous, and every lie the enemy has said about you has been nailed to the cross once and for all. You know, many times as I read the Word, there's certain portions I struggle with understanding. How about you? As I come and I study and I pray, God, I need, please open my eyes. What is going on here? Please open my understanding. Make it real so that it's not just academic, an academic exercise in my head, but make it alive. And and it's in those moments as you keep looking at scriptures, you keep meditating on it, you keep studying, you keep seeing it from different angles that God will lead you and he's guided you and you'll stand in awe in that moment because he wants you to understand the truth of his word. You're not going to just read it once and say, well, I've read it once and I'm good. No, no, you're going to read it and you're going to read it again and again. He's going to show you and he's going to speak to you and he will show you what it says at just the right time. Jesus tells him a moment ago, hey, listen, um, listen, um, you know, you're not going to be able to understand this, but I'm going to reveal it to you in the right time. He's come, the Holy Spirit, to reveal truth. That's where he says, I still have many things to say to you, verse 12 and 13. You can't even bear them now. This is too weighty. How many of you there's some things that God waits to tell us? How does He use that? Through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're not ready to receive it. Sometimes we're not in a position to receive all that God wants to say to us, or He knows that we won't even fully hear it, or maybe our hearing isn't fully developed at that moment spiritually, but He waits. He says, listen, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now at this moment. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth that everything you and I need for life, how to live in godliness and pleasing the Lord and walking with the Lord, for he will, not, he will not speak, he says, on his own authority, but whatever he hears me speak, I will say to you. Do you realize that he's going to be listening to the Father and taking directions from the Father? He's going to say, I want my daughter, I want my son to understand this. Would you please now give them the cry of my heart? At that moment that they're ready to receive it, I want them to know it and that their mind and their heart, and so that my word would come alive and my word would encourage their heart. He's helping you. He's pouring his love into your heart. How? By the Holy Spirit. God will guide you in how to love somebody. He will help you live a life that's pleasing to Him. He will guide you. And this is what we saw a few weeks ago in John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Remembering this, the Holy Spirit brings back to your mind and your heart God's truth to encourage and to strengthen you that makes the Spirit in the Word of God alive. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9. This is what Scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who, what? Love Him that you and I can't begin on our own understanding to fully comprehend the greatness and the vastness, the dimension of God's love for you without the work 
of the Holy Spirit that is alive in you. That you and I can't imagine the places that he will take you and, and imagine the things that he wants to do through you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man that God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know about you, but I need the work of the Holy Spirit more and more every day. Because the enemy is countering all of that and working and saying the lies. Now look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows up shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except their own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, God's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. We understand, we've talked about it a few weeks ago, we have an anointing where the Spirit permeates our hearts, changes us, heals us. He soothes us. He helps us. He guides us in all truth. And then one more thing, number six, he glorifies Christ to us. And he will glorify me, verse 14, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and I will declare it to you. He's going to magnify Jesus to our lives. He's going to magnify Jesus. He's going to show us Jesus because when you see Jesus, it changes you. An example of that is Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw who? The Lord. Who, what is he talking about here? Chapter 6. He's saying this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus, before he came to earth, and he saw Jesus, he saw his glory, and what did it do? It radically changed him. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord, and it changed me. And so I would suggest to you that the problem most of us have, if you're a believer here or, or, or you're listening online or at a Clearbrook campus today, I would say the, the problem many believers have is we spend time looking in mirrors instead of through glasses. We're so consumed with ourselves, with our own world, with, with our own life and our own desires, and, and our Christian life is only boiled down to a mirror where we're concerned with how we look, with what we do, instead of looking through glasses and beholding the glory and the beauty and the majesty in the matchless name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How does that happen? Through the Spirit. How? Through the Spirit. Not because of our own good works, not because of our own Bible reading. All those, you know, those things are good and well and they have their place. But he says the only way that you get this is through the Holy Spirit that will make this known. And then you will grow from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord. What imagery is he using here? When the Moses goes up on the mountain in the Old Testament, God takes the veil away. And the Bible says 
he has to have the veil on because he spent so much time with God and began to radiate his glory and people couldn't even look at him. He took the veil away to remove anything that was blocking God. His interaction with God was there and what was taking place is it was transforming him. The Spirit of God, as it radiates, it transforms us if we will allow that. Paul says in the same way it transformed Moses, when you and I look at Jesus and we behold His glory, it transforms us. That we are changed in one degree of glory to another, and this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. So He magnifies Christ to us. He shows us Christ. He shows us His majesty. And as we submit to his will, he shows us his beauty so that you and I will become like Jesus. So are you looking through a mirror today? Only concerned with what only you can see, the problems that are in front of you, rather than saying, oh, Jesus, help me to turn away from the mirror long enough so that I can look to you and I can refocus my attention upon you and be transformed into your image. You know, we can't transform ourselves. It's only by your spirit, your spirit, Lord. The extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit many times we don't even realize is that work within us on any given day, wherever we are at, he is there with us. It's extraordinary. Today, would you just open your heart and would you let the Spirit come and do a work in you? Let Him live inside of you. Let Him remind you this morning that you are righteous in Jesus Christ. Let Him remind you the enemy is defeated. Let Him remind you of that. Let Him guide you in all truth. Let, let Him make you and me more like Jesus that you and I might increasingly look like the one who died for you. Many times we're trying to change another person. Lord, if you just change them and the Holy Spirit says, I want to change you. I want to do a work in you because that's what matters, what's happening in you today. Don't be worried about what somebody else is doing, saying, not doing, or saying, Holy Spirit, change me so that I can become more like the one who died for me in you today. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship, and we're just going to open our hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to do something here. We've got time The Holy Spirit is working. Would you allow him to work? Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of John 16, which reminds us of the many extraordinary ways that you work in our hearts and in our lives. Many times we don't even know it, but you are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making Jesus real to us and alive. That you are our help today. That you remind us that Satan is defeated. And that you are our righteousness and we are in right standing with you, Lord. And that you will guide us in all truth so that we 
might increasingly look like the one who died for us, Lord. So, Lord, we bless you and we welcome you, Spirit, to continue to do a mighty work in our lives and in this place. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.